Well, welcome to the Bill Bennett Show, and I am Bill Bennett. Today, we'll be joined by Brian Kennedy, president of the American Strategy Group. He's also the chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger in China. We're going to be talking about China. Brian Kennedy, uh, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Brian, I know you have hopes for the new chairman uh, of the subcommittee on China, Mike Gallagher, and we just had the opportunity to speak with him. And I'd like to pick up on some of the points that uh, he was making and get your perspective. Uh, We concluded by my asking what was more important, more consequential, the failure to build up militarily for the threat of China or the failure to convince the American people the threat that China constitutes and the soft opinion many Americans have of China and, uh, you know, various things that are going on in America and universities and elsewhere. What's our bigger problem? The hard uh, military one, the kinetic one uh, or the uh, public opinion one? Well, it would certainly be all of the above, I think. Americans, look, we're, we're the kind of people who don't want to blame other people in other countries when their government does something evil. <laughs> And so we look at all these college students from China here in this country, and we don't look at them How as many? agents. Well, it's gone down a little bit because of COVID, but it's still over, I think, 300,000 right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the problem with them, by the way, just as, a, as an aside, is they're all the children of the communist elite. These are not the children of little factory workers somewhere in Hunan province. These are the children of the elite, and they themselves will constitute the communist elite in China in the years ahead. And they will have been taught two things in American universities, that America is an evil country, that capitalism is bad, and that therefore Americans have done all these horrible things in the world. That's, that's, the, that's the one thing the Chinese students will learn. And the other thing, they'll learn all the science and engineering from our best schools. Yeah. And so we, we will have the, the, the worst of all worlds there yeah. When, yeah. when it comes to our interactions with the Chinese. Let's pause over that. It's just, yeah. it's kind of stunning to think about the fact that these Chinese students who are all, you know, as you said, uh, children of the, of the elite, the Communist Party, officials or higher-ups, and who are all, by by Chinese law, spies, right? They are required to, you know, find out things and report them back by Chinese law, correct? Right. It's not that they're actually all spying on us, though some of them may be. Under the national security law, Section 7, they are mandated to report to a handler here okay. in the United States. Okay. All right. Thing, things that they find, and they could be assigned by that handler to to look at certain things from their professor and to steal certain intellectual property, right. et cetera, et cetera. But I just I just want to pause on the stunning point, which is you know they come to America and uh, universities to learn that America is evil and capitalism is bad. Not to Chinese universities, where I'm sure they're teaching the same thing, but to American universities because that's what our professoriate is teaching. Do I have this right? Yes. Yes, very, very strangely, Uh, yes. God knows. Actually, in Chinese universities, I believe they spend more time trying to understand what is good about America than we do here in this country. Really? Yeah. They actually, as a philosophical matter, see that the West had a certain dynamism Mm -hmm. in its belief in human freedom, Mm -hmm. and that that human freedom led to a kind of human flourishing both intellectually and scientifically, yeah. made us the wealthiest country on earth. So yeah. in Chinese universities, they're trying to figure that out. They study Western philosophy, and they study how we developed our science in the hope of 
replicating it for their own model. I mean, they want to be the best in the world, the Chinese. Yeah. So you may learn you may learn more about American flourishing uh, in a Chinese university where and it may never come up in an American university. You who know the American university better than anyone else in the country, I think, you know that what we're teaching our kids yep. today in yep. American schools is not the kind of thing that will lead to love and devotion. Yeah, you know, I was just I was just reviewing uh, curricular stuff on on America on the Gilded Age, and uh, I wrote a history book, America: Last Best Hope. And my chapter on the Gilded Age is called "More Golden Than Gilded." Uh, but if you read about the Gilded Age in most uh, curricula and history books in America, it's all about greed and the greed of these very wealthy people. You know, the J.P. Morgans of the world, and all these people. But it doesn't talk about the dynamism of that period, the inventions. Uh, the establishment of uh, trusts and foundations, which are with us today. The fact that Transcontinental Railroad is finished and that Americans could go across the country cheaper. And because of the flourishing and invention and scientific creativity that you were just mentioning, uh, it was not only a boon to the rich, it was a boon to everybody. Uh, This American dynamo, as some people have called it. But look in vain uh, for American universities to talk about the positive parts of the Gilded Age. It's all gilded to them. Not none of it's golden. Well, think of it this way, too. In that gold, in that in the Gilded Age, you had a bunch of oligarchs operating back then. Two things were going on. You had you had American oligarchs back then and these industrialists. And of course, they wanted to make all the money they could. Sure. But the government wasn't so intrusive on the lives of everyday yep. people. Yeah. And so those everyday people in their entrepreneurial way created new businesses and yeah. industries yeah. and started new cities and built up those cities and communities all over the country and created the kind of wealth that America still yeah. enjoys today. Now, that's America back then. What, what about our oligarchs today? The Bill Gateses of the world, the, the, the Larry Finks at BlackRock, the, you know, the Mark Zuckerbergs, they look at China as the model for the future. Yeah, my God. Right. They look at they look at me. What, what do they always say in the press? That Oh, my gosh, the Chinese are so they've really got it made because they don't need to, to look at the consent of the governed and they can just decide with their expertise how best to run their country and their economy. And so we've gotten to a very, very corrupt age uh, today in America. Look back back to back to the whole China piece. Today, Americans or last year, Americans lost one hundred and ten thousand people. To fentanyl, as you have described so eloquently so many times. Where is the outrage over that? Yeah. There is more outrage over this balloon and focus paid on a single balloon transiting the United States than there is from 110,000 Americans who die from fentanyl. Yeah. That seems I, I, to me utterly misguided. I, I agree, except for this the balloon has captured the imagination of the American people. And in fact, it's captured the imagination of the news media. So if this is a way, an occasion, a teachable moment, as we say, to to talk to the American people about what China's up to, then by God, let's take it. Uh, And it seems to be. And it seems to be. I would humbly argue this is this is is the balloon may have been gathering data. Right. I'm sure it was gathering data. But it looks to me more like a forgive me, a modified limited hangout. Do they really want us to believe that the only way they can gather such intelligence is with a high altitude balloon transiting yeah, yeah, the United yeah. States? Right. They have they have satellite coverage of the United States. They put up more satellites that we than we do. 
they have, you know, drones, they have Google Earth, they have human beings, for God's sake, who live in this country, who do all sorts of things, all those students, but just normal people transiting the United States. I think this whole thing was an act of information and political warfare, simply to, on the one hand, it's all—it's almost to give the impression that they're kind of low tech. We're about to, with Mike Gallagher, Chairman Gallagher, start these hearings about China to examine everything that China is doing in this country, from its penetration of the U.S. government to our financial elites, to our universities, to, you know, Hollywood, the Chinese penetration of all that. And yet we're focused now on a balloon as if the only thing that they could do yeah, was, right, was right. have a balloon look at America. It, it's it's almost like theater, sure. it seems to me. Because now sure. people have, the, the low information voter has fixed in his mind that the only way the Chinese can spy on us is through a, a balloon hovering over us. Yeah. Whereas, whereas, in fact, they have so deeply penetrated this country yeah, sure. that, that, you know, let's hope let's hope Chairman Gallagher gets to the bottom of it. All right. But but, you know, if they're outraged and upset about the balloon, I'll take it. It's, a, it's an occasion to talk about all the things you've just mentioned. And, yes, and that's absolutely. exactly what what Chairman Gallagher was saying. It's very interesting when you hear what he said on, on this podcast uh, and what he was saying on television and will be saying, I, I trust. It was less about the balloon and more about the penetration of American life, American institutions by Chinese propaganda and, and, and influence. But he did say what is important, maybe more important than whatever information the balloon gathered, was the uh, was the response of the United States, which he said was, uh, let's say, not what it should have been. There was no good reason to let this thing go across uh, the mainland of the United States. And I, I would say even Alaska. I mean, people forgot Alaska is a state. It's part of the United States. Yeah, you know, quite right. You know, people right. may forget that it is. And it's even bigger than Montana, a lot bigger than Montana. We're in a war with communist China, let us be clear. They're in a war with us. They think of it as war. They've declared a people's war. And so in this people's war, it's going to be a battle. There there will be battles on many fronts. This was one of them. This was one where the Chinese wanted to find out what the U.S. would do when they floated a large balloon that had military applications, whether it was offensive or simply data collection, and what would we do about it? And on that, I believe we failed. And let me just make one last point on this. By letting it go into international waters before we shoot it down, before we shot it down, set a very bad precedent because we were saying then we can shoot things down over international waters. And so now will the Chinese, when we have some some reconnaissance plane over protecting Taiwan, Will they shoot it down in what they declare international water international as, reta- as retaliation? Let's talk about Taiwan. Uh, several people have said this was a trial balloon to see what we might do, how we would react. And what it tells us is uh, Taiwan may- maybe better not count on us because of our, our reluctance here to act with uh, with this balloon. Others have said, um, oh, no, no, there have been many t- balloons like this floating across the United States before from China. I just heard John um Radcliffe, former DNI director, say absolutely not. Uh, this we have. We, I have no knowledge of any such thing like this before, floating across the United States. 
But I heard several Democrats say, well, whatever uh, message uh, China might uh, interpret uh, in regard to our uh, reluctance to engage this balloon leading to the conclusion that we'd be reluctant to engage in Taiwan is countered by what we're doing in Ukraine. And that sends a much more uh, clear and loud message to China of what we are willing to do. Uh, I don't know about that. I don't, I don't think I buy that. Do you buy that? You, you, do you mean by that that because we're willing to de- defend Ukraine, we're willing to defend Taiwan? Yeah, that's right. That's well, the argument. Well, what's, what, what's going on today, apparently the Chinese, and the briefings I've been receiving uh, from folks, the, the, uh, the Taiwanese are rather upset that we're deferring armaments that were promised to and sold to, in fact, Taiwan, not yet delivered. We're diverting those from Taiwan to Ukraine, their future delivery. And so, if anything, the Taiwanese are looking at the Ukraine business and thinking, we're going to be the excuse, or Ukraine's going to be the excuse for not helping Yeah, for not Taiwan. helping us. We're, we can't fight two wars. We're prioritizing Ukraine. And I'm sorry, but we're just going to let, have to let Taiwan go. We can only do so much. That's exactly the opposite that Ukraine is demonstrating uh, because of this uh, diversion of uh, of the uh, material that uh, Ukraine is a is an encouragement to the Chinese rather yes, than a discouragement. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You have a better grasp of this. You talked about your briefings. I just want to remind the audience uh, we said it up front, but you were the the chairman of the committee on the present danger of China. So you, you get a lot of these a lot of these briefings. I mean, we are sending a ton of of material uh, to Ukraine. I mean, uh, do we have this much to spare uh, in terms of missiles and tanks and everything else? I don't believe we do. Yeah, I don't. I, 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 I think this is one of the things that the uh, the the House Armed Services Committee is going to need to get to the bottom of immediately. Mm-hmm. How much armaments do we have here? And and to to an earlier discussion we've had, it may be that. Well, it's certainly the case that the Russians or the Chinese are in a strategic alliance, something that they they yep. agreed to yep. in 2021 and carried through to 2022. It may be that the, the from the Chinese perspective, the communist Chinese perspective, that for them strategically to take Taiwan, they need America tied up in Ukraine. And so that the Russian invasion of Ukraine may have had as its end game the Chinese takedown of Taiwan. Does the balloon tell you we're less likely to get involved to help Taiwan directly? Does it tell you that that's, that's more likely the case from our actions watching this balloon? Well, you know, it's an, that's a, I, I don't know the answer to that. What, what I am encouraged by, I mean, I think, I think what, the, um, what the balloon demonstrates is that there are big parts of the American military that are very risk averse. For now, sure. contrast contrast that with this uh, General Minahan, who this week gave a directive that they need to prepare for war with China by 2025, and he did it in the face. I mean, it, it's rather shocking he wasn't fired for that. That he decided to issue a memo to his command, basically stating that war essentially war yeah. is coming. We need to take every step to prepare for it. Yeah. And the only way that would have ever become public is if he thought there were other parts of the American military that were behaving in a manner that was too yeah. risk averse yeah. and not and not developing 
you know, I, I said to Chairman Gallagher, you know, you got a lot of jobs. I think your main job is to pick up on Donald Trump, who, you know, would kind of sound, uh, did sound an alarm bell on China. Got people realizing that China was a danger. But we, we need to increase that understanding and increase that worry uh, on the part of the American people so that we're uh, not naive and not innocent in this regard. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Spe- speak clearly. Minahan, you know, oh, he's, clearly. He's, a, he's an Air Force general, uh, Air Mobility Command. Okay. And his memo, which which I'll give to Claude to, to put up on on whatever social media you have. Yes, please. Is something that the audience should read, because what it suggests is, as you often say, it's a big country. And Minahan would only have issued that memo describing the threats from communist China if he believed that within the U.S. military and within this country, there were a large number of people who shared his opinion. Yeah, and that's that's very interesting. I'm sorry to keep coming back to the Gallagher interview. But you'll, you'll see why when you listen to it. But you're echoing what he, what he said. He, he talked about General Dumford, I don't know, several years ago at some international conference. Uh, you know, and he, Bill Gates, other people were there. And he said, you know, for God's sakes, we're the good guys. We're, we're the good guys. You right. know, and, he, and he felt he had to say that because it was getting all blurred. And as this discussion with you started, it is a little blurry for a lot of uh, for a lot of Americans. So we need to put it in focus. That's what I told Chairman Gallagher. His job was to get every American to focus on this. He said, OK, he said he's worried about the Green Bay Packers, too. But but this was uh, this, this was more important uh, back back to Taiwan. Uh, if I understood you correctly, what, whatever uh this balloon might have uh, might portend you are not in favor of us intervening militarily in Taiwan because of fear of World War three is that correct well I wouldn't say that exactly i'm more I'm more interested in this if you actually believe we're going to have a war with Taiwan with communist China over Taiwan you would be taking some steps right now to make sure you won that war yeah sure right now we do not have a missile which is what the gen- which is what the general is trying to Alert people to, yes, to do that. Exactly. Yeah. You'd harden our electronic grid, number one, so that you wouldn't you wouldn't be vulnerable to an EMP attack of the kind that the Chinese may have been simulating, right? In the in yep. the balloon, you'd harden the grid. You'd build a national missile defense. Yeah, you'd have you'd have a a more robust air force and navy than the one we have today. Yep. Yep. But I, by, by robust, it, it, by simply at a higher standard than the one you have to. You have yep. ships that are you have ships that should be able to stay on the high seas for long periods of time, going into port for rather minor repairs. You have you have inadequate supplies of all sorts of armaments, whether it's whether it's missiles, torpedoes, you know, bombs, small armament even that are inadequate for the defense. The tanks that we're sending to to Ukraine, they were designed for Taiwan. You know, you'd you'd prepare yourself for war. So it's it's not that I'm against defending Taiwan. And the reason that we care about Taiwan, of course, let me be clear, is not that they're a democracy. They are a democracy, but they are a strategic... uh, trading partner of the United States when it comes to a lot of our electrical components in the way we run our modern life. I mean, we're, we're building today these, these uh, chip factories around the country 
especially in Arizona, that power our cars and refrigerators and, you know, all sorts of, you know, printers, you know, our modern life, right? Computers. We're building that here, but that's going to take maybe, you know, five years to 10 years, yeah, maybe yeah, longer, maybe yeah. longer. These things are not easy, that easy to make. In the meantime, 85% of these chips are produced in Taiwan. Right. And we can't, we can't let that fall into the hands of communist China or they so will dictate even more than they do today, our, our, our way of life. So you're not saying we shouldn't get involved. What you're saying is we shouldn't get involved in a fight if we're weak, if we're unprepared and we're not ready uh, to be in the fight. Well, when, when an Air Force general who's in charge of Air Mobility Command says that, you know, 2025, I think that's wishful thinking. I, I think he's saying 2025 just as a way of putting a deadline on what needs to get done. Yeah, we are I'm more, prepared. We're, we're not prepared for war, and the Chinese know that. I'm more, I'm more worried about 2024. 2023. If, yeah, 2023. Well, yeah, and what we're in now. I mean, we have, a, we have a weak presidency. We may have a stronger presidency in 2025. So, I mean, if I'm them, I'm, I'm looking at America and saying, man, I don't think they've ever been more vulnerable. They got weak leadership. You know, the stuff they were going to send to Taiwan, they're sending to Ukraine. They're not ready in all the ways that you uh, described. And it was either Gallagher or Ratcliffe who said the minute that, uh, you know, we send a signal that we're going to go help Taiwan, China will say, uh, good luck with those pharmaceuticals because they're making most of what we get or the precursors to most of what we get. Yeah, the the active pharmaceutical ingredients, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, you know, Shakespeare says readiness is all whether you're for the fight or not. You're not for the fight if we're not ready. I'm for getting ready. Gotcha. Because our, our, our experience is when we're ready, the other side's discouraged, right? Yeah, we're good. That's, we're good. The heart, of deter- the heart of deterrence is preparation. Yeah, you, you know. The, <clears throat> if you have the capability, then the other side's deterred. Yeah, I mean, those Germans, I remember I quoted it in my history book. They said, you know, these these Marines, they fight like devils, you know. I mean, they. These Americans are good. Uh, and when we are ready, we are really good, but we're not ready. Uh, anyway, I, look, I have I have hopes for this uh, for this chairman. You're a chairman. He's a chairman. You guys got to get together. You read the same books. Pillsbury was cited a couple of times by him. You're talking to the same people. I think you're talking the same language. And uh, if in any way I can be a bridge uh, between you two guys, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do it. And we'd love to use this podcast as a way of, you know, to kind of charting the progress toward, uh, to a greater understanding. Uh, you, you know, me, you know, as the guy says, every anthropologist loves his own tribe. My tribe is the American student, American people. And man, we're just, we just, well, maybe we know, we know a little bit more. We're a little bit more alarmed, but we're not knowledgeable enough and alarmed enough. And that's part of the readiness, I think. Yeah, no, I think th- I think that's right, Bill, and that's very well said. But I, I, I was struck this week. The first thing when I heard Minahan, I read this Minahan memo on getting prepared against communist China. First thing I thought of was you. And I, I thought to myself, you know, what that shows is two things. There are spirited men, and it's a big country. Yeah. And my guess is that that Minahan memo was far more impressive upon communist China than nearly anything else, because it raised a level of uncertainty with them. What they would have thought is, huh, there's there's Joe Biden and Lloyd Austin, but there are these guys like Minahan. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. They're a problem, aren't they? Yeah. Last question. For some reason, I, I take some comfort in hearing that President Biden 
told his guys he wanted to shoot it down. Now he is in charge, you know. So if he if he gave the order, it should have been followed. But apparently they talked him out of it. But like three or four or five times now, he's been asked about Taiwan, and he said we're going to defend it. And then it always goes to be clarified by the State Department. My question is this: Do you think his instincts maybe are are better than than his performance? You know. <laughs> Unfortunately, we have a country governed by a man who not merely has lost a step, but just looks feeble at yeah. times. Yeah. And so when it comes to his instincts, you know, Joe Biden's instincts are not that good, to be clear. He's a political animal. He, he would only do anything for his own political benefit. So they, they, they say that he wanted to shoot it down on Wednesday, did he? You know, it was it was at various times, I mean, Biden has said to various U.S. presidents, I think I think he had said to Reagan before that that Reagan wanted to have some kind of an initiative. And Biden just told Reagan, if you do that, I'll torpedo it. I'll just tell the, I'll yeah. tell the Soviets what you're doing. Yeah. yeah. And right. So Biden has come across for many, many years as just, you know, sleepy Uncle Joe. This guy with with good, I mean, they, they want to give you the impression that he has good instincts and that he's really just, you know, an everyday American who, you know, is trying to do his best to have some kind of moderate course in the you know Democratic establishment. I believe the guy's natural instincts are to be much more radical and no. much more, much more on the side of, unfortunately, whether it was the Soviet Union or communist China, than on the side of this country. He thought he was the man who was going to broker all those things as opposed right. to having all right. all a right. forceful American response You shot down my balloon. You shot down my balloon. Well, okay. I'm sorry. That's all right. No, I, you know, I, I don't know that I agree with you. I, I certainly agree with you in terms of what he's ended up doing or not doing. But, I, you know, I know him pretty well, and I just think, and right now I think he's pretty enfeebled. And what what the guy say? He's not the Joe Biden of 30 years ago, and and the Joe Biden of 30 years ago wasn't much either, you know? <laughs> so, you know, look, I, we didn't I, have I much think, to, think, wouldn't have much to start with, but by the way, I think, he's, I think, I think, I think whoever's around him, you know, I think whoever's around him uh, has influence. And uh, I think that's where he is now. Go ahead. I think Mike Gallagher, if he looks at hard at these, all this Hunter Biden stuff, yeah. he's gonna, that's going to tell the story of a guy who is willing to trade yeah. the, you know, interests of the United States for money. Yeah. And right. So, right. So the Hunter Biden, the Hunter Biden stuff, I think is not a story of European escorts, prostitution and drugs. It's a story of, of corruption at the highest levels. Yeah. I believe that it will trace right back to Joe Biden. Okay. I think we've uh, mapped out a full uh, agenda for, Chairman Gallagher, wouldn't you say? Chairman Kennedy? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well, he, he, he's the man for it. I yeah, I know he is. He is. I, I told you, and I have for the audience to hear it. You know, both of my sons know him. When my older son was virtually uh, close to being contemporary with him at college, Princeton, and my younger son was in the Marine Corps with him, and we had lunch, and my younger son said, this is like the smartest guy I ever met. And whatever the test was in the Marines, Gallagher always won it, whether it was physical or mental or, or geopolitical, four languages or five, Farsi. Um, and uh, my only problem with Mike is he looks like he's about 19 years old. And uh, of course, that really tick, kind of ticks me off because I'm almost beginning to look my age, Brian, don't you think? No. 
Okay. Not ego. <laughs> Not ego. <laughs> All right, Brian. Great to talk with you. This uh, to be continued. Thank you very much. Okay, that does it for today's show, Claude. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. Yes. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. Like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's billbennettpodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week. 